Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a Recovered Life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Setting Healthy Boundaries. My name is Christina Dennis, and I am a recovery coach who specializes in breaking codependent patterns and uncovering some of the issues that leave us in codependency. And I often um, use, I've been doing this for about 20 plus years, focusing specifically on recovery from codependency. And it's, it's literally, uh, for me, the main, the main source of the addictions that I participated in. And uh, decided over a year ago, I think at this point, to start, um, start having a room on a weekly basis that speaks about codependency and about setting healthy boundaries. And it has really been one of the joys of my recovery. So welcome. Uh, you're in Recovered Life Discussions. And I just want to let everybody know that this does get rebroadcasted. So if you will um, you stick to first names only and use respectful language um, for everyone, um, including yourself, I would really appreciate it. I, um, part of my recovery process is daily meditation books. And so I often, before the show starts, do my connection to higher power and to set my intentions by using recovery meditation books. And today's reading in the Language of Letting Go book, which is by Melody Beatty, and uh, perhaps if I get fancy, I can find the link to it. But I know that if you just Google daily meditations and language of letting go, the Hazelden organization puts these out for free. But I read today's and I thought this is such a beautiful topic and subject for codependency um, and recovering from codependency. And I just want to briefly give a definition of what codependency is. And it's such a it's not a black and white issue, but it has to do with patterns that we learn in early childhood that make me as a codependent other people's lives and other people's intentions and needs and wants over mine. And therefore, I was codependent from a very early age, and I have since then learned that a lot of it is a fawning response, which is part of trauma, where in order to keep myself safe, I focused on the other people around me. Now, that doesn't sound bad in itself, right? I mean, we're supposed to be of service, and a lot of people who are in recovery from substance have heard to think of others first. But I always did it in this kind of manipulative way where I held other people responsible for my happiness and subjugated my own responsibility. And so when I started looking at codependency because of a relationship, that's what motivated me. I wanted to fix an addict. 
and they didn't want to be fixed, I started going to codependency recovery meetings, specifically to keep that person in my life. He was a sex addict, and they had this wonderful program for the partners of sex addicts called codependency, Codependence of Sex Addicts. And so this was my introduction to it. And my main motivation was to figure out how to quit, how to make him quit looking at pornography and compulsively masturbating. And um, I don't share that to, you know, share gory details, but I think it's such, it's such a heartbreaking scenario that I think it's important for me to be really transparent about how I got into codependency recovery. But what I quickly learned, and when I say quickly, I mean maybe within the first six months, was that I was the common denominator in all of these kinds of relationships, and that there was something inside of me that was compelling me, literally like a compulsion, to put other people's needs ahead of my own, with the expectation that they would do the same for me. And so... One of the tools that I use is out of the language of letting go. And today's topic, I think, is such a beautiful depiction of how you can define your own codependency sobriety. And it, I'm just going to read it. Living our lives. Don't stop living your life. So often, when a problem occurs inside or around us, we revert to thinking that if we put our life on hold, we can positively contribute to the solution. If a relationship isn't working, if we face a difficult decision, if we are feeling depressed, we may put our life on hold and torment ourselves with obsessive thoughts. Abandoning our life or routines contributes to the problem and delays us from finding the solution. Frequently, the solution comes when we let go enough to live our life, return to our routine, and stop obsessing about the problem. Sometimes, even if we don't feel like we have to let go or can let go, we can act as if we have. And that will help bring us about the letting go we desire. You don't have to give up your power to the problem. You can take your focus off of your problem and direct it to your life, trusting that doing so will bring you closer to a solution. Today, I will go on living my life and tending to my routine. I will decide as often as I need to, to stop obsessing about whatever is bothering me. And if I don't feel like letting go of a particular thing, I will act as if I have let go of it until my feelings match my behavior. And I have to say, one of the biggest injuries and wounding of a codependent life, my codependent life, was that I would put it on hold. And uh, the first very, the first room we ever did about setting healthy boundaries, for those that maybe are not familiar with the room here and how we tie it all together, was about how do I learn to love myself? Now see, when I was codependent, I didn't know how to love myself, so I expected others to love me enough that I would feel that love. And I absolutely put my life on hold. And if you're like me, and I hope people will come up and start sharing um, some of their experiences and how they're doing, I didn't really have a life. I didn't know what I liked and what I didn't like. I thought the key to me having 
life and enjoyment was figuring out what you wanted and what you liked and supplying that, therefore making myself impossible to abandon. And so it felt really crazy that the way I was going to solve a problem with somebody else was to step away from it and let go and focus on my own stuff. And I think this is, this feels counterintuitive for those that of us that are raised in homes that require codependent behaviors in order to stay safe in them. And it feels impossible at first. And so what I really like about the reading is that it gave me kind of a formula that even if I didn't feel like letting go of a problem, even if the obsessive thoughts, which were many, you know, if I could just get him to stop, if I can just get him to come back and understand that I am so important, were plaguing me day after day. And with this kind of information, I could at least, you know, as they say in the Al-Anon pro program, pray and do the dishes. And I could even go a little bit further and start trying to figure out who I am. And so I think it's important to share about our codependency slips, our codependency behaviors, because it takes us out of this confusion about what it is, what is the action that we can take. Um, when you're dealing with a partner, uh, when you're codependent, it can often seem like we have to pick up the tools that we've used in the past, control, manipulation, servitude to a fault, and then we can slip into victimhood. But once I started to realize that I had a cognitive process and I had a way because I had created my own likes and my own love sources within myself, I stopped needing the other person to change so much. And I started having access to activities um, that actually helped me define my sobriety and codependency. I've shared before about the circles workshop that's used um, when we start recovering from codependency, but I'm going to share a little bit more about it uh, as a way to start. You know, how do I set a healthy boundary? It was, if it was as easy as saying no, <laughs> I think that we would do it more often. It's really, really a heavy subject and it's very confusing at first and very hard to do. And so I love that in early recovery from codependency, I had these steps about how I move forward and get a life for myself. And so when you are looking at a workshop boundary workshops, a boundary workshop, I want you to perhaps pull back and start looking at the behaviors that we want to, that constitute a slip that we don't want to have anymore. And for me, those were rages and screaming and snooping and, you know, looking through this person's um, journal or, you know, how many times have I heard recently or in the last 20 years, sneaking peeks at the phone that were hurting me. And I knew that they were hurting me, but I couldn't stop myself. And so I consider that a codependent slip anytime. I start thinking thoughts like, how dare they do this to me? Don't they know how important I am? You're doing this just to hurt me. I realize I'm, 
I'm in a codependent slip. And so that those actions and activities go in my red circle. You know, red is for danger. And then I was told to circle another bigger circle around those red behaviors that we called my yellow circle activities. And those were the ones that were supposed to caution me. And my yellow circle activities look like not getting seven hours of sleep, not feeding myself, not speaking up um, about what television show I want to watch. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound glib or flip about codependency and how painful it is, but I really needed to look at those behaviors um, and start seeing I was on a slippery slope to have a codependent relapse. And then we draw a green circle around it. And in that green circle, we start writing down things that we love and we want to do that are about self-care. And that helped me start defining what I was actually supposed to do so that I could start living my life and not hyper-focusing on somebody else and making them responsible for me feeling safe and okay. And so every room I always like to share a little bit of a skill or a technique. And if you want to reach out to me directly, I'm happy to send you the PDF about how to do a circles workshop. But today I thought that we'd have a discussion about what we do to live our life as codependents. Because at the same time of doing this deep dive, you know, kind of the inside out work, we have to do some of the outside in work as well. And it allows us to start breaking away from enmeshment. And I know that was a lot of information, but I got on a tangent and I would love to open up the room because this is a discussion and a sharing room for people to come up and share about what's happening with you and whatever you are interested in sharing about your history this is how I recover, by sharing my jumbled thoughts that maybe aren't put together in some kind of polished TED Talk, but I start telling the truth. And, um, and I have to say that recovering from codependency has, has given me what this reading said. It's given me the skills to learn how to live my life. And so with that, um, please raise your hand if you'd like to come up and share. Uh, the rules, of course, are use first names only and be respectful toward each other. And thank you so much for allowing me to kind of share a less than curated presentation about codependency and what recovery looks like. April, welcome. Thanks for coming up. Hi, um, I am getting food at this moment. Can Paul go first and then you can jump over? Sure. I think that'll work. Paul, are you? would you like to share? Hi, Christina. Yeah, I can take a short share. Thank you. Um, good evening. <laughs> good Good afternoon, actually. Okay. Good afternoon. Yeah, five, five o'clock here, 5.20. Um, beautiful day, sunny day, really gorgeous day here in the UK. Um, yeah, just, I mean, I related, obviously, to some of the things that you shared. And especially when you were talking about, at times, not knowing what you felt, not knowing what you wanted, not 
I don't know if you said this one, but for me, what was very strong was um, struggling to make decisions. That was a really big one for me. And I think the biggest one of all, which is at the core of all of this, is self-abandonment. Is about abandoning the self and being overly focused on the needs of others. I mean, that is the core of codependency. And as you said, you know, it doesn't sound like such a bad thing, right? You mean, okay, so you are in tune with what other people need. You're in tune with how other people feel. Well, that all sounds really good, right? Well, no. <laughs> no, because um, if it's at the cost of our own well-being, and if it's at the cost of basically self-abandonment, then um, it's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. Even though I believe now that a lot of um, people who are trying to do good in the world, genuinely trying to do good in the world, are deeply codependent. Um, so, yeah, for me, the core of all codependency comes down to one thing, and that is not to abandon the self. Um, that's my share. I'll pass to Oh, such a powerful share. I love that. I, I remember, and it, it took years for me to actually understand that I was abandoning myself every time I foregoed a preference for somebody else. I mean, it, it doesn't seem, you know, I, I see a lot, obviously, because of the algorithm on my social media talks about codependency. I see a lot of wordplay, you know, people pleasing, and then somebody saying, what's wrong with people pleasing? And it isn't, it isn't positive. And that's what's so sneaky about recovering from codependency, especially if it's within all of your relationships, which often it is. It doesn't appear to be dangerous. Um, and we get socialized and told from a very early age uh, that to think of self is selfish. And it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, even if you enter into a recovery program for, for substance abuse and you follow the 12 steps, it will, you know, say self-seeking, um, you know, and, and put it under a mark of character defect. But it's that fine balance of abandoning ourselves to fulfill the needs of others that really needs to be discussed and shared. Because I, I don't believe that if you have a substance abuse problem and you're recovering from it, um, I don't believe that the partner that you're in relationship with or the parents that maybe are enablers are the only codependents. And, uh, and I just love that. That's very powerful, powerful to stop abandoning ourselves. And I, I think part of that is figuring out who we are. You know, Christina, one thing I just wanted to share as well is that I brought this up recently in a group about not self-abandoning and most people don't even know what that means. Right. You know, it's like, what does that even mean? And I think unless we've done some inner work, unless we've really looked at ourselves, we don't know what it means because 
as you've just said, we're habituated into doing it at such a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I just wanted to put that in. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I'm pop back to April um, and see if you are free to share. Yeah. Um, uh, the connection's iffy at yeah, times. I can hear you. Okay. Awesome. This is this is really good to hear. Um, <laughs> I wasn't planning on coming in, but it's it's interesting. I just think um, I don't know every. We're losing you now. Maybe I'll come back to you and see. Because we can't hear you. Kathy. Why? Oh. In. April, you're you're, um, cutting in and out. So I'm going to go to Kathy and maybe you get a place where there's no red bars. We can do it again because I want to hear what you have to share. But right now it's too robot-y. Kathy. Hey, everyone. Um. Why be yourself when you can uh, draw a cartoon figure of yourself and 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 present that to the world instead? Huh? Um, the the pleasing aspect and uh, it's so safe. It's so safe till it's not, and um, that that subsuming yourself uh, into the it, you know you can call it everything you like into pleasing another, into loving another, into into wanting the best for someone else um it it's just all bs it's all bs and it's 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 hard the codependency breaking the patterns of codependency have been in many ways harder for me than breaking my addiction um my alcohol addiction um both are safe places for me both are what i know um but it it's it, it just doesn't feel like um, Paul was saying. It just doesn't feel good when you when you see through it. When you see through the bullshit that you're selling yourself, it's horrible. It's a lonely place, and you don't know yourself. You you really don't know yourself. You know you, you know you're going to have this tendency, and this is a you know something that you go to, and this obsession with um, with pleasing, with with making everything all right around you. It's, um, you're right, we are conditioned to it. Um, I think probably for women more. Um, but we are we are groomed for it almost societally, systemically from an early age. And it's, it's no wonder we drift into patterns in, in relationships, you know? It's uh, love, honor and obey and all that for, 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 for marriage and stuff, but I'm rambling a little bit because there was a lot to um, take in there, Christina, and you know how slow I am. Um, but yeah, that, that losing yourself into a version of yourself, that's comfortable. That's your metaverse. That's your multiverse, whatever you want to call it. That's, you know, I can be that person if I do this. And I, what's even better is I can make that other person uh, something if, if I do this. So it's comforting, it's, but it's not real. It's like living in the matrix, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're going to have to confront yourself if you want a fulfilled life. Um, it's a, and recognizing it is a huge part of the battle, but it's an ongoing thing. I find with my own behavior, um, I still do it. I still do it. Um, it's my go-to, my default setting. 
um, and it takes time to to come away from that. Um, and it's a hard battle. And like you say, I think, um, you know, it's so, it's so familiar. Sorry, I'm getting a bit upset. It's so familiar to be in that place. Um, so yeah, I'm going to be quiet now because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit emotional about it. So thank you, Christina, for holding the room today. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Kathy. It is emotional. And it just feels like there, this, I love the matrix. I'm going to use that in the future to describe it because that's a perfect way to describe it. What we believe is happening isn't really happening. And it's, uh, you know, I remember the first time it was shared with me about the trauma response. And when we are told from an early age that in order to be accepted by our families, by society, we must behave this way. Um, it's really hard. I remember the first time I said no, and this might sound dramatic, but I thought I was gonna die. I had an actual physiological response of shaking and emotional flooding and pain because I was so scared um, to say no because this person's not gonna like me and I'm not gonna be enough. And uh, that's why every week I open this room under this title because I feel like in recovery, it is one of the essential uh, disciplines and understandings that we need in order to stay present in our life. So I really appreciate you sharing. Thank you for being vulnerable. Kat, thank you for coming up to speak. How are you this morning? Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm feeling good today. Thank you for asking, and um, thank you for holding the, the space, Christina, and thank you for your shares. Um, you know, Kathy, something you mentioned, um, how this part of recovery and, you know, sobriety is the hardest thing. You know, for me, too, it was like alcohol and men, you know, that was... Um, you know, my, the things that had caused me the most pain in life, you know, and I got sober four years ago, four and a half years ago, I've spent most of my sobriety in a relationship. Um, and then, you know, I think it was a year and a half into my sobriety. I was in so much pain. Um, not from someone leaving me, but an obsession with some, like someone I had not even known that well um and it's crazy how it sets this ball rolling and um it's all I can think about it's all you know and I can I was aware enough now that I was sober I was aware of these thoughts and how much mental space it was taking up and it was agonizing and terrible and um I had to be really just patient and kind with myself. And even though I knew a relationship wasn't something I should be doing, uh, it was as if there was no other choice. It was really strange. Um, you know, fast forward, I spent all of quarantine in that relationship and it ended five days ago. And it was my biggest fear come true. Um, but I thank God that I spent that time with him working on codependency, you know, because 
it turns out that fear was just what's the saying it, it was a scary mop in the back of a or the monster was just a mop in the back of a closet you know um you know since he's left um the first couple of days hurt but like it's getting better every day and um i've thrown myself back into like hanging out with you know women surrounding myself you know with people with good recovery and um, leaning into my hobbies and leaning into the, all this knowledge that I had acquired, you know, here on Clubhouse with Christina um, in my programs. I was working Al-Anon and I started Al-Anon because I really, really wanted this to work. I wanted the things, I wanted the kids and I wanted the marriage. Um, but what I found, I, I just finished my 12th step yesterday is what I got was me and um that is really cool because that is the only thing that's gonna last you know in, in my lifetime you know my relationship with me and um it's just one more thing where like placing dependence on people places and things just it isn't um it isn't something you can always bank on and um it feels good to have this relationship with myself and to have my biggest fears come true and like be okay. Cause it's like, holy moly, like what can I face next? Cause I'm like, that was the biggest one, you know? <laughs> like what it's, um, this is absolutely incredible work and I urge everyone to stick with it. It's just so rewarding. Um, so that's all I have, thank you. Uh, thank you, Kat. We'll be thinking about you. I um, I do believe that the real that codependency recovery and falling in love with ourselves is is really the foundation of having a life that we can enjoy and and really live our life. And it's it's squishy and there's this kind of conception I think in the world that we should just know. We should just know how to love ourselves, that there's something wrong with us, you know, and it's a secret and we don't share that because everybody wants to portray confidence. But I, I can surely say as much as I knew my capabilities in regards to self-esteem, that it took years for me to start believing that I was lovable. And it did mean that I needed to, have, to learn how to love myself. and. Um, we in the rewire your brain room we've been going through all those emotions and the word that keeps that I keep meditating over and just feeling is belonging you know just belonging to myself and it's it is it's a beautiful a beautiful recovery um, when we start recognizing it and and it's thorny and confusing so thank you for sharing that I'm, I'm grateful I love, I love this um, app and the ability to connect directly with others that are in recovery because there's so much healing that can come. But um, make no mistake, it's it's a big it's a big thing to to take on. So, Erwin, thank you for coming up. Sorry, I was having trouble unmarking. Hey, Christina and everyone else. Um, really glad to be here um, and really grateful to hear all the shares that I've listened to so far. Um, 
And yeah, um, codependency, I've been working on this for a long time and I think I'll be working on it my whole life, but, um, you know, just keep going and, um, in doing the work that I've been doing specifically, I've been working, um, the ACA 12 steps, um, and, um, I read the language of letting go every morning too, Christina. Um, and this morning it really struck me. Um, there've been so many times I've put my life on hold for others. Um, and I don't, don't want to dominate the whole room. So I won't take, go into all that, but, um, lately, and I really think it's like a higher power universe thing. Um, a lot of people that I had unhealthy relationships with, whether they were friendships or romantic partners, or in some cases, um, people who abused me, um, have randomly popped up in my life recently. Um, and some of them, it has literally been, I've been walking my dog down the sidewalk and they walk out a door, um, in my neighborhood. And some of it's been more intentional. And for me, the gift of this program has, and this recovery work, um, whether you're doing 12 steps or another way, however you're doing it, just keep doing it, um, has been that I've been able to keep the focus on myself. And before recovery, I thought keeping the focus on myself was looking at like, what can I do more of? What have I not done enough of? What do I need to do for someone else? Um, but I've come to learn and I've come to realize that's not what it is. One person I care for very much that I had to distance myself from recently. Um, I did tell them that I was choosing to do that. And instead of saying you did this, this, and this, I don't want to be around you because you know, this, when you do this, I was able to say, I don't like how I'm feeling and I need to take time to protect myself and take care of myself. Because at the end of the day, I don't really need to tell them what they're doing is wrong. Um, that's codependent of me, but I do need to take care of myself. So I really appreciate this conversation and I'm glad to be here. Yes. Yes. That is such a really, I mean, really a beautiful way to say like when we start setting healthy boundaries, they're not necessarily for the other person. They're for us, you know, for us to be able to remove ourselves from a situation. And, you know, the people that were in my life prior to me understanding, okay, I, I'm really, really acting out in these kinds of behaviors, some of them left, but they were meant to be gone. You know, if you're in a healthy relationship and you start sharing things about how to take care of yourself and what you need to do, and that other person takes it personally, that's good information for us to have. And I have to say, you know, the relationships that I have today, my, my friends applaud me when I say, oh, I, I need to take time or I need to go do something. They're happy about it. You know, even if they're disappointed about like, you know, me not being able to go to an event, they are pleased that I am taking care of myself. And that's when you start realizing I'm in an interdependent relationship with other adults and they're not responsible for me and knowing my limits, I am. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Deanna, hello there. Happy Wednesday. Good morning. Thanks for holding the space, Christina. Oh, Erwin, everything you were saying, so good. Kat, Kathy, Paul, April, everything. I've been on pins and needles over here. 
Um, something I, I, since there's people, since there's a lot of people in the room, I love it. I'm going to go ahead and try to make this really quick. Um, I had a codependency win right as this um, room opened today. I was a couple of minutes late because I had come to a space where I realized I'd found the words to positively say no to somebody about something, a space where I felt good about saying no. I, I felt good um, about being kind to them and honoring what they do and holding space and respect for them. But meanwhile, saying like what Erwin said, that I feel basically like I'm not going to benefit from something that someone else is offering me. But here's the thing. The person that's offering this thing to me is somebody I want to keep in my life, somebody I think is important. And I want to build a relationship with them uh, based maybe on something else. Uh, I'm kind of being vague here because I'm trying to keep it short. <laughs> but um my win is just that I was able to say no about something and feel good about it. And how they receive that is not up to me. Um, I think I know the person well enough to know that they will meet me in a space of love. But it took me a whole month to find the words to say no in a loving kind of way and hold that space. So I'm feeling really good about that today. And I love that um, everything everyone shared has been awesome. So thanks for listening. I'm Deanna. I'm done. Congratulations. Like that is a huge win. I mean, it is a huge win when we, we say what we need and we let the other person be responsible for their reaction. It's, um, you know, what it allows us to do is to show up with an open heart, uh, in our relationships. I didn't like what my codependent behaviors were motivated by after I started seeing it. But I had to really admit to myself that I was dishonest in many of my relationships. And what I would do is, you know, say yes when I really wanted to say no and then go to an event and be so angry at the person that had asked me to go because I didn't say no. And um, wow, boy, did it allow me to start just truly being who I am. I mean, that's uh, the codependent behaviors are our protective mode, um, but they don't allow us to really show up as ourselves in a relationship. And so the other person doesn't even know that they're hurting me. They, they may even, you know, they may feel the anger. And I remember times where I had to say, you know, because I started getting aggressive or sarcastic, uh, meeting a friend for a coffee date and about halfway through, I had to say, you know what, I'm not being very kind. And the reason is, is that I didn't do a good job of taking care of myself. Um, I really should have said that I can't come and I'm sorry. Um, and I remember, you know, a little bit of hurt on my friend's face and then her starting to understand um, why I was being the way I was being. And I, and you know, it's, it's really humbling but what that communication allowed me to do is, is to have a place and have an open dialogue with a friend. And then she had permission to say what her needs were. And I started to trust relationships and then they could trust me because they knew when I said yes, that I was gonna show up you know, in the right space and being able to handle it. So I really appreciate your win. Congratulations. Dara. 
It's good to see you in the room. It's been a minute since you've been here. How are you today? Oh, very good. So glad you're hosting this room. Um, hi, everybody. I'm Dara because this is such important work, Christina. Um, I, I, I know from the women that I coach, I help women who need help speaking up. And what you were just saying was so true for me. I would walk around feeling resentful in my earlier years because I, I wasn't uh, being honest. And what helped me, for anybody who's still struggling with speaking up, is to really begin setting boundaries for myself. You know, like even this morning, I, I block out time. That's my workout time. Nobody, nobody bother me. <laughs> or um, I set boundaries with, you know, um, with my kids. If it's not done at this time, I, I you know, I'm, I'm out of time. I can't help you then. Like, we just have to begin with ourselves. But boundaries, the cool thing about it, really a good thing in relationships because it creates balance. So if we're always saying no, well, maybe we're not being fair and we're not being kind. If we're always saying yes, then we're being too kind. So boundaries are really a good thing. We don't have to look at it like it's a bad thing or hurting somebody's feelings or I'm rejecting them and they're not going to like me. It's setting boundaries to let them know that, hey, I want balance. I respect you so much in this relationship that I want you to respect me because I respect myself and I'm also going to respect you. And I promise you, people will, they'll adjust. They'll get over it. They may resist a little bit in the beginning, but it takes a little bit of time. We have to teach them, you know, and so for me, it's, it really began with starting with myself first, like what are the boundaries I want, you know, blocking off time for activities that you love to do, or when you are feeling exhausted, take a nap, you know, just honor that space that you can't get back. So I think this is such a great conversation and I'm um, just enjoying it. This is Dara and happy to be here. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. You always share, share such good, powerful um, statements. You know, really it is, and it's that self-responsibility. And, you know, I have to be honest, there were times when people would tell me to take a nap and I wanted to flip them off. You know, I wanted to smack them. Um, there were times with my son's condition where I didn't sleep, you know, for weeks on end. And it was so overwhelming and, and scary and frustrating. And people would say, you've got to take care of yourself. And I would feel like they're not really listening. Um, and so I understand if you're in a position where that sounds like you're not getting it, we need to talk about that problem. But just as the reading that I read this morning shares, it was the obsession and it was um, this idea of not being right-sized and not stepping aside to let higher power step in and help him. And even though I was doing what I thought was right and I was being this selfless mother of a special needs child and really pushing to it, I, I was actually preventing him sometimes from becoming uh, self-supported. Uh, and I, I've shared this in this room many times, you know, about the time that he was 11. I, I saw when I met my husband and, and it wasn't just myself and my son. I saw some of the relief come from him um, and over him when he knew there was another adult in the house. And it broke my heart because 
I really had this idea that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do in supporting him, but I was actually making him more responsible for my happiness. And, um, and so when I talk about codependency recovery and share about it, I, I am very clear that there are significant challenges sometimes to doing this and that it sounds insane that the way I'm going to, you know, for me instance, the way I'm going to help my son is by taking a nap. But it is true. And the reading from Language of Letting Go reminded me of that, that the rumination, the obsession, um, it may not stop, but I can act as if and do other things, you know. And so for me, it looked like I may not be able to go to sleep, but I can tell a friend, can you please come watch him and I will lay down at least. And that will be beneficial. And, um, and so these are deep-seated behaviors that we learn as children as a way to keep ourselves safe and as a way to have value. Um, and so learning how to say that initial no may feel really, really big at first. But what happens is I continue to define my recovery and codependency and I continue to share with people that are safe and trustworthy because they also want to take care of themselves is that what I found is that my boundaries didn't need to be as communicated as time went on. And I didn't have to set that hard line because people sensed it. And, and, you know, we're able to just, it's just part of the deal now. It's just part of the deal. When somebody calls and says they have an emergency, they may have to call somebody else if I'm not in a place right then to, to handle it. And that was never, that was never part of my deal. It was never part of what I did to take care of myself. And uh, so I do believe starting with just those needs, your initial needs and wants, you know, start with your needs first. And if that looks like rest, then even 10 minutes will help. Um, and just kind of give yourself room to adjust your behaviors so that we're conscious of our codependency and we're conscious of these behaviors that aren't actually helping the solution for anyone. Teresa, thank you so much for coming up. Hi. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty good on setting boundaries, but then sometimes I, uh, outside of my family, I don't do well dealing with raised voices. I mean, I give my family grace. <laughs> But when it's somebody new that I'm dating, I'm like, oh, no, this is date number seven, and this is not cool. And so I'm just, and and so I don't even know what to think about. It's like an early on thing, but I just felt like, and he said, well, I've just been going through a lot lately. And I'm like, yeah, we all have, but I, you know, I... I just like, I don't know what's going on here, you know, and I just kind of like sat still because I'm responsible for my own behavior. But at the same time, I didn't know what to do with this other person's uh, yelling and getting loud and uh, ranting, you know, it was just really odd. And uh, it, it's just because it makes me uncomfortable and, and I, it makes me uncomfortable with my own family, but at the same time, I I can figure out how to walk away or do anything like that. But after he composed himself, he says, if you have to leave, I understand. And I'm like, 
and I'm thinking, no, I want to see how this pans out. You know, are we able to, you know, move on? And I said, let's just pick a movie. And I said, let's pick up, pick something funny to lighten the mood. And it, it got better. But then the more I thought about it, it's like, I felt like we had to have converse because I have ADHD and I don't intend to interrupt other people. It just happens. I mean, I, like if I spend two and a half hours with you, I might interrupt you two times and all the times that we talk and, and that's pretty good, you know? Um, but at the same time I told him, I said, if this is a sticking point for you, I don't know that we could date anymore. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm okay with it because you know, it is who I am and I'll try as best as I can to correct it. But, um, and then, uh, his opinion, different, differentiated from mine on another thing, but I sure as heck wasn't making it like I wanted to change his opinion about what, how he felt. And so I wanted to make that clear, you know, because that's a manipulative behavior and that's the old me, you know? So I don't know if you could, you know, put some light on that. I think a lot of it has uh, some stuff from my upbringing. I, I'm just really uncomfortable with people uh, raising their voices and being loud towards me. It makes me it gives me anxiety and I'm complete. Well, oh, thank you, Teresa, for sharing that. Um, you really, you brought a very good question and thought and, um, and we do talk about this a lot. The, our nervous system as codependents, um, when we have had the trauma response of fawning over people, our nervous system is often threadbare. And sometimes that means that even though a person may be a great person, their ability and their triggers are too painful for us. Um, I can tell you that I don't do well when people raise their voices. I don't handle that well. It's, it's not my job to be there and be yelled at. Um, and so in, in some of the communication with my partner, although he's not a yeller, I would actually be more prone to yelling um, when we become emotionally flooding, flooded. Um, there is nothing that happens well after. I mean, we have to take the 15, 20 minutes. And so my boundaries with him and his with me, by the way, is that we do walk away and we wait that 15, 20 minutes before we can continue to move on. I also think there's something to be said about healing our nervous system around our emotional triggers. And for me, a lot of the, the flooding was as a direct result of the abuse that I endured as a child. You know, here I am a, a flaming codependent who, uh, whose safety response, whose trauma response is to try to take care of everyone's needs before my own, thinking that that's going to heal my nervous system. If they're okay, I'm okay. And what I had to learn in codependency recovery was that I needed to spend a lot of time with myself and with people that are experienced in trauma recovery, uh, that are experienced in helping me heal the parts of the trauma that are still frozen in my body and without that, it's, it's often like sobriety for me. Without sobriety, there is no recovery because it's the gateway. And without a well-protected nervous system that I, I discipline myself to 
to actually attend to via meditation, vagus nerve calming, all the things that I've done. You know, EMDR is a great um, tool for helping me with trauma. But what I, I do know is that I have a hard boundary if somebody else's trauma um, is in the explosion rage place. And so I have a commitment with my husband because as I already said, even though I had a problem with rage, I raged. And we had to really start walking through what were some of the things that we did when I was flooded and couldn't move. Um, and I'm happy to report, even though that first year that we were together and it was really hard and I was embarrassed because I had double, double digit sobriety and, and I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't be behaving like this. I had to acknowledge that I was triggered and I was in a state of panic and trauma and I had to on my own continue to work on that and continue to do what I could to heal myself. I couldn't ask him. I couldn't make him responsible for behaving in a way that allowed me to live, um, you know, feeling a little safer um, because it was so big that I needed to address it. But we have hard, fast rules that when somebody is flooded, they always have the permission to say, we're going to have to circle back on this. We're going to have to circle back on this. And so it's one of the scariest things that, I mean, truly one of the scariest things in my life, if not the scariest, is to show up, be vulnerable, and have needs in a relationship. And so continue to seek out help and continue for everybody who's codependent, continue working on yourself and your nervous system and pay very close attention to it um, because as Dara said, the boundaries are really the bridges in our relationship. They're not walls. They're bridges saying, I can remain here in a safe place as long as it doesn't um, show up like this. Like, it's okay for you to be angry, but it's not okay for you to rage at me. And uh, that's very helpful. So I appreciate you being transparent with what's going on and it continues I mean, it's why we have to keep having these discussions and pursue codependency recovery. Uh, Polly, I'm so happy to see you here today. You always have such good things to share. I'd love to give you your time right now. Well, hi, Christina. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Christina, for having this room, uh, this reading. Uh, and thank you so much for your tip at the beginning, the, the circle workshop. If Anybody came in late and haven't heard it, I really uh, would encourage you to, to listen to the replay uh, because it was really good stuff. You know, I did this reading myself this morning. This is one of my favorite books. I've had it in my toolbox for a long time. And then we shared it. I shared it on the uh, codependent uh, room and or not codependent, excuse me, co-occurring disorders room. And we talked about it, but I came from it from a different angle was my anxiety. I'd been very stressed out lately uh, and very full of a lot of anxiety. And when I read it this morning, that's where it went to. But what I love about these readings is that they're transcendent, right? They, they reach us, they're universal truths, and they reach us where we're at. 
But after listening to your share this morning, when you opened up this room about your circle workshop and looking at this now through the lenses of codependency, I think so much of my anxiety is wrapped around my codependency behavior on these upcoming events. Even though it's positive stuff happening in my life, things that I've strived to achieve, goals I'm, I'm searching for, doesn't mean they don't have bring anxiety. And when I'm doing this, I'm working with other people, right? So all my codependency tendencies come out as I'm working in with these teams. Uh, and so this is great work. And what you shared with me earlier, uh, it will help me take a serious inventory on where I'm at. And hopefully, I, I'm confidently, I'll be able to get a little better grip on my anxiety because now I have a better idea of where it's coming from. So thank you so much. And thanks everybody for sharing with me today. I really appreciate it. I'm Paul. I'm complete. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I love when people with long-term sobriety come in and share about how codependency is affecting them. Um, I feel like it's that next level in our recovery that really helps us. And it's how we have relationships. It's, it's easy to be spiritual when you're in a cave, right? <laughs> it's easy to hold on to the universal truths until we actually have to talk to somebody. And then it's really, really where the work begins um, for us to show up as whole humans. Um, I'm going to close the room by reading the reading one more time. Thank you, everybody who came. Please DM me if you're interested in learning more about the Circles Workshop. Um, I'm happy to send you the very old PDF. Um, I'm sure there's an updated version somewhere, but um, it's really helpful in helping us define our recovery and our codependent behavior of sobriety. So today is May 18th of the Language of Letting Go by Melody Beatty, and it says living our lives. Don't stop living your life. So often when a problem occurs inside or around us, we revert to thinking that if we put our life on hold, we can positively contribute to the solution. If a relationship isn't working, if we face a difficult decision, if we're feeling depressed, we may put our life on hold and torment ourselves with obsessive thoughts. Abandoning our life or routines contribute to the problem and delay us from finding the solution. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.